You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. If you ever have a conversation with someone where you opened your heart and you shared a struggle with them, you shared something that was, you know, that was happening to you and you really were looking for advice, but as they began talking to you, you knew that that was bad advice. You just knew. Inside, you're talking to them and you're like, this? I mean, I have. I've had, like, conversations where I remember sitting there and talking to someone and I felt like what they were doing is it was, they were projecting. They were projecting their stuff onto me. They were really talking to themselves. And they were, you know, how they coped with things is how they wanted to tell me to cope with it or how, you know, tell me how to handle it. And I've discovered that misery loves company, right? And so people tend to project themselves on you. And so as we could, like, this is our last installment of the middle. It's our July series. And today I wanted to talk about that in the middle, in any process, in any journey, in the middle of your life even, you must be keenly aware of who is in your corner. Now, I'm not talking about the multitude, right? I'm not talking about those acquaintances. I'm not talking about the people in your life that, you know, they're, they're kind of like the surrounding people. No, I'm talking about in your corner, the people in your circle, the people that can speak into your life, the people that will influence you, right? See, this is nothing new. This is not new information because the Bible wrote it a long time ago. We find it in uh, Psalm 1, like right at the beginning, Psalm 1, David writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. We also find it in Proverbs, Proverbs 18, 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruins. We find it in Proverbs 13. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fool suffers harm. Like none of this is new, but it also found in research. Research shows us that you are the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. So it's not new. We know this. We know that we need friends. We know that we need people. But we don't just need any people or any friends. We need good friends. So today, I want to pose three questions to you that I am praying will significantly change the way you look at the inner circle, the way you look at who is in your life and who has access to your life, who has access to speak into you. Because like I said, we know this. We know this because our mama told us. Remember your mama saying bad company? Don't hang out with those bad people. Don't hang out with bad friends. Mama knew what she was talking about. You know, because it is bad company corrupts good character. And so all your good intentions and everything you have fought for, one friend can derail it. One friend who is able to speak into your life can short circuit what God is doing in your life. They can derail you. One friend. But on the flip side of that, the Bible also teaches us that one good friend is able to lift you up when you are down. Ecclesiastes teaches us this. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they are... They have a good return for their labor. If, there are, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. So it's on both sides. A friend can derail you, but a friend can lift you up. 
So friendships matter. So as if you're taking notes, if you'd like to take ones, again, I'm going to pose three questions. Question number one that I want to ask you this morning is, do you have someone in your life that when you are talking with them, most of the time you leave encouraged, uplifted, uh, inspired, or just feeling better about yourself? Do you have someone in your life that speaks, that their voice, this, their voice is a voice of faith, that ignites the flame that is in you, that they are able to see in you what maybe sometimes you can't see for yourself, that are able to call out of you the things that sometimes you feel a little weak in, and you're like, no, but I can do this. Do you have people in your life that are able to see past your mistakes past your shortcomings maybe someone who will listen not for just what you're saying but they are listening to your heart they're looking inside and seeing what God has placed inside of you there's a brilliant passage in first Samuel chapter 18 through chapter 20 and this is where um, we talk about David many of you have heard of David but uh, at the time the nation of Israel was being ruled by King Saul King Saul was the first king of that nation, and he had a son. His name was Jonathan. Now, Jonathan, um, once David defeated Goliath, this is happening at the same time. So once David defeated Goliath, David became known, right? And Jonathan knew David. He met David, and Jonathan and David became very close friends, like really close. The Bible tells us that they loved each other as their own soul. Like love your, your neighbor as yourself kind of deal. They were brothers. They were best friends. They were loyal to one another. They loved each other. But King Saul became very jealous of David and the fame that he got. He was known for being the slayer, right? He was known for defeating armies. And so King Saul became very jealous of David and set out to kill him. Now, Jonathan, not once, but twice, okay, um, saved David's life. Not once, but twice, he, he spared David's life. He helped him escape the rage of his father. David and Jonathan had this, this relationship, that, this bond that was really, really strong, and they watched out for each other, and they took care of each other, and they made a pact that they would forever be in each other's corner, basically. So Jonathan saw the call of God in David's life. Now, mind you, Jonathan was the next one up in throne. He was the one meant to be the next king. But he saw what God had placed in David's life. He saw what uh, God was doing through David, and he affirmed what God had placed in him. And Jonathan stepped aside, allowing David to become king instead of himself. That's a big deal. He said, no, I see what God is doing in you, and I see that God has called you, and so I'm going to step aside and actually help you become what you're called to become. See, this friendship was not accidental. It was providential, right? This is interesting to me because this friendship impacted their entire lifeline, family line. It impacted their entire family line. We find this later when we, um, or actually... We find this later in uh, 2 Samuel 9. It says, later when David became king, um, he asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? See, this kind of friendship impacted the life, the, the entire family line of Jonathan. 
right? Saul, Jonathan, and the kids who come. And they found someone by the name of Mephibosheth. It's interesting. They found him. His name was Mephibosheth. He was lame in both feet. And at the time, you wouldn't bring people that had a handicap to the king's table. But David says in verse 7, For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always eat at my table. See, this kind of friendship impacted the family line. Let me ask you, have you ever thought about the friends in your life and how they will impact your family line? We don't think about our children's and our children's children, but even our relationships will even impact them. So what am I trying to say here? There are friendships ordained by God for us that will propel us into our destiny. People who will see the call of God in our lives, protect it, pray for it, and help you get there. People who will cover you, who will care for you, right? When you are weak, they will lift you up. People who God strategically placed in your help in your life to help you along the way. Providential, unordinary friendships, right? People who will love you and are willing to leverage their influence, their power, their money for your sake. Unordinary love because people, God has called people to impact our lives. And I want to encourage you this morning to maintain those friendships, to realize, to notice those friends, to protect that relationship, to be loyal to it. Because God will use people in our lives. He uses people to get us where we need to be. The second question I want to ask you this morning is, who in your life is the opposite? Most of the time when you're with that person, they suck you dry. Right? They take. They're takers. They take away your energy. They take away your, your spirit, like you come in happy and all of a sudden you leave like weighted down and sad and just, you, I mean, it was just, it's all about them and it's only about them, right? Or the person that like you just, you leave their company and you just feel like you don't measure up for some reason. You were fine when you got there and all of a sudden you feel less than. See, there's also a story about that in the Bible, and in the book of Job, we find that Job has these three friends that when they heard what had happened to him, this is Job 2, they heard that he had lost all his wealth, all his children, and his health. Look, Job was at the lowest point in his life. And these friends were good friends who set out to comfort and sympathize with Job. They set out to come and be support for him. So they come on over to his house. And the Bible says that they sat with him for seven days and seven nights without a single word. I mean, the, the situation was catastrophic and they, they were speechless. Right? They came in. They set out with good reasons. And may I point out here that some relationships begin well. But they expire as well. And so the Bible tells us that after they begin talking after those seven days as the conversation you know began that at some point those friends those Job, those Job's friends began to accuse him and blame him for what was happening to him they begin to say it is your fault you have sinned against God this is your doing right which in fact wasn't true we know this from the beginning of the chapter that that was not true but they began and let me may I submit to you this morning that the same may be true for you that some friends 
begin with good intentions, but they expire. Here's the problem with it. It's because you changed. They didn't. And that becomes, and those friends can become very uncomfortable with the fact that you changed and they didn't. And they want to explain it. And because they cannot always explain it or they cannot fix it or they cannot put it in their box, they begin to accuse you. They begin to say, well, you know, you should do it this way or you, they begin to project their own things onto you and their emotions and their feelings and make terrible suggestions. Now, I have said this many times, and my encouragement is that you imprint this in your brain. Hurt people will hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. Okay, they will project their hurts and pains onto you. Because people who are hurting have a very hard time seeing past themselves. All they can see is themselves. Pain is loud, and it clouds judgment. And pain often becomes a filter by which people see others and how they see the world. Pain becomes a filter, a lens. Or what's worse in this relationship, if you can call it that, it's all about them all the time. Like I said, it leaves you feeling exhausted and empty. And the people around you, can cause you to compromise what God has placed inside you. Some of us, may I suggest, are not moving forward because we remain in the company of people who do not believe. They do not believe in what God has placed in you. They do not believe of what God is doing in your life. They do not believe in anything. And their unbelief is rubbing off on you. Right? Jesus talks about this. Jesus models for us what we do with unbelief. What do you do with unbelief? What do you do with those people that just don't believe that are around you? Jesus models this in Mark 5. Mark 5 verse 21, we find a synagogue leader by the name of Jairus who comes to Jesus with a little girl who is really sick. And while Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house, another person shows up and tells him that his little girl is dead. So why bother the teacher? And we pick up in verse 35. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He, Jesus here, did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all the commotion and wailing? This child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After putting them all out, say all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. So maybe it is time for you to stop allowing unbelievers to speak into your situation. Maybe your situation does seem dead. Maybe it is dead. 
Maybe your middle looks more like your end. But I want to tell you something this morning that when God is in it, it is not the end. It is not over. And there are still things to come and you have to stand in belief. And I want to encourage you this morning that if there are people in your life looking at your situation and telling you it is dead, you put them out. You put them out like Jesus put those people out. You put them out because you have no space, right? There's no space in your life for unbelief. Let me encourage you this morning. Remove unbelieving people. In the middle, when you're in the middle of your life, you're in the middle of a situation, you're in the middle of um, a journey, there is no room for unbelief. There is no room for naysayers and doubters and people that will put you down and tell you, I knew you wouldn't measure up too much. There's no room for that. You put them out like Jesus did. And you bring in the people that will speak faith into you. Right? You remove unbelief. And my third question for you this morning is, which friend are you? Ooh, that, that felt good, didn't it? Are you leaving people better than they were before they met up with you? Are you encouraging them? Are you seeing things in them that they may not see? Do you leave them feeling more confident? Are you lifting their spirits, calling them higher? Are you praying for them? Which friend are you? Are you being a Jonathan who is able to see in people what they can't see sometimes and call it out? Or are you sucking them dry? Are your conversations all about you? Is it all about what you're going through and what you need? What kind of friend are you? Are you being the kind of friend that you want someone to be to you? Friendship is a two-way street. It's a two-way street. And we need to make deposits at the same time as we're making withdrawals. I want to also submit to you this morning that being an enabler is not a good friend. We, there are people who want others to just be happy with them. That want to make everybody happy. And that want to make everything, everything to be calm. No fight. Just peace, right? Peace. In the name of peace, they withhold truth. And I want to tell you that a good friend understands the value of truth in love. A good friend is able to look at you and be honest when you need to hear what you need to hear. Godly friends are willing to confront and discuss. Be honest with their friends. This is not an excuse to be mean. There's no room for being mean. But every truth, every good friend knows that truth bathed in love and grace will propel people forward. Okay, a good friend is able to go there. I'm going to give you a very, very simple example. Um, there's a designated, dri designated driver syndrome, right? You're, I'm not going to drink um, because I just don't feel like it's good for me. Like it's not good for me and, you know, I feel like God is calling me to the next level. So I'm not going to drink, but I'll drive for you guys. We'll go out tonight. And I will be the designated driver. That's not being a good friend. Because if it's not good for you, it's not good for them. Right? Very simple example. But there are people who just don't want to deal with issues and don't want to confront and they hide. And so because they don't want to be the, the, the friend who is, you know, 
policing them, other people. They don't actually speak the truth. And I want to encourage you, a godly friend, a good friend, tells the truth. In love and in grace, but it encourages people to become more that they are, than they are. It encourages people to go higher, to go past their shortcomings. Be that kind of friend. My message is short today. My message is, do you have good people around you? Remove the bad people, the people that are not speaking faith, and be the kind of friend that you need to be. Because when you're in the middle, in the middle, right? JD spoke in the, in the, in the previous messages that when you're in the middle, you pray and you work. If you didn't catch the messages prior, I encourage you to go back. When you're in the middle, you need to pray and work. When you're in the middle, you stand, you remain, you cling to the mission, Right through the ups and downs, you cling to the mission. When you're in the middle, you fix your eyes on Jesus. Because everything else is a distraction, you fix your eyes on Jesus. But when you're in the middle, you make sure the right people are in your corner. Because the wrong people will take you down. I'm going to ask you to stand for me.